Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Friday. You made it. Congratulations. I don't know about you, but it's been quite the week. Um, I'm really looking forward to sharing today's episode of Fanatical Fridays with you all. But before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to share a little bit more about Element 451's PAX feature. So I've talked with many of you about PAX um, in Enrollify's premium Slack channel. I've also talked about PAX on our Fridays videos. But for those of you who aren't familiar, PAX is actually pre-built content into Element 451's CRM. So let me talk to you a little bit about how it works and why I think that this is so cool. So when you go through the CRM process, the CRM buying process, right? You're reviewing RFPs, you get the demo, you finally, your, your procurement office finally signs on the dotted line, right? And then you get into the CRM and it's awesome, except for the fact that now you have to build all of this content. PAX reduces all of that friction. What PAX does is PAX is, again, pre-built content in your CRM. So you log into your CRM and you just select, build me a communications flow, build me a search campaign, build me a transfer specific search campaign, right? Whatever it might be. And what PAX does is it automatically pre-populates a marketing automation workflow, right? Anywhere between seven and, and 10 different emails. And then what they do is it actually points to the specific components, the specific sections of the email that you should personalize. So it's sort of like the perfect marriage between pre-built automated content while also having lots of opportunity for customization and personalization. I've never seen a higher ed CRM that actually comes with pre-built content, and I've seen a lot of great higher ed CRMs, but none quite like Elements. So if you wanna learn more about PAX, if you wanna get a behind the scenes look at actually uh, how it works, um, head on over to element451.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's element451.com forward slash Enrollify, and you can learn more. Again, I have uh, I got a recent demo from artists and the team. Uh, what was that? I guess just a couple weeks ago, and I was a little skeptical. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I was very skeptical about how this actually worked, and was pleasantly surprised by how easy it was and how, again, how quickly I was able to set up what would normally have taken my team, if we were working on this for a client, what would have normally taken us, you know, weeks, if not months, we were able to do in a matter of minutes. So if you want to learn more about packs, if you want to check out sort of how you can save your time, your, your team rather, lots of time, uh, head on over to element451.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's element451.com forward slash Enrollify. Thanks very much to Element for sponsoring today's show. Good morning, good morning, Mickey. How are you doing? Hanging in there. It's uh, another week. Uh, I can't believe how close we're getting to the holidays. I know, I know. I was looking at my calendar last night, and I was convinced there were still three weeks left until Thanksgiving. But um, alas, it's it's just two. So it's um, two weeks. It's it's coming in hot. It's coming in hot. You know, and, and a lot of folks do their holiday countdown just like you. And you know, how much, how close are we to Thanksgiving? You know, I look at it as is how close do we have until the enrollment crash comes? And enrollment crash <laughs> meaning when the when when all interest and in anyone doing any search for education, all that stuff just comes to a, a screeching halt, which is probably around uh, the twenty fifth, right? One, yeah. two, three. The, the Thanksgiving will be the twenty sixth. So right around the twenty fifth, boom, nothing. Um, and you'll see it really dive down, you know, the 23rd, 24th, the 25th, nothing. And then maybe 
um, sometime around the 29th and 30th is where it pops back up for about a week and a half to two weeks. So, um, so uh, my countdown is, is on, I've got, uh, today's Friday, the 13th, I've got five to six business days. If I'm going to make any progress for my spring enrollment Friday, uh, the before 13th. I have to pause. that's right. It's, it's Friday the 13th. Wow. Um, well, Hey, here, here's, <laughs> Here's to hoping. Um, here's to hoping we can give some folks some uh, practical ideas that they might be able to implement, or and or at least sort of um, think on over these next five to six business days before before the pending crash. Um, but uh, welcome everyone to Fanatical Fridays. As always, our goal this today, this week, is to share the tools, the strategies, and the technologies that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. Um, lots to talk about today, and really, I my goal, and and I think our goal, Mickey, for today's conversation is to just share something uh, a little bit more uh, practical of some frameworks, some ideas that folks might be able to uh, take away, and um, again, hopefully, before the end of the year, at least, uh, begin to implement. So, Mickey, you want me to just sort of dive into this, to this first idea? Absolutely. Great. So... One of the things that we've spent um, a lot of time thinking about here at Enrollify is how do you help get more bang for your social media advertising buck? And in a day where budgets are tight um, and just quite honestly, you know, human capital is tight, people don't have enough time to do all of the things that are that are on um, their uh, respective plates. How can you have social media advertising actually outperform what you're used to expecting it to, um, how, how you're used to expecting it to perform? So we've been testing this little framework that has actually worked very, very, very well. And I just wanted to share it with you all. At some point, we'll, we could make a, a visual sort of um, chart that helps diagram rather that, that helps explain this. But for now, I'm going to do my best to, to describe this um, over, over audio only. And one of the things we realized as we've been looking at sort of how schools have been spending money on social since the start of COVID is that for most schools, they've actually doubled their spend on social media advertising over the past six months, as opposed to the same you know period of time last year. But what's been interesting is click-through rate on these ad campaigns has dropped by nearly 25%. Um, and what's especially interesting, at least to me, is that the actual cost per acquisition of a new contact from social media has been cut in half. So it's cheaper to get new people in the door. Um, there's, you know, double the ad spend overall, but the click-through rate on these campaigns is is hurting. So this sort of brought about the question, okay, what can we do to help increase sort of the quality of clicks from social to, uh, to a university's website, whether that's to a landing page, to download a content offer, to sign up for a virtual event, or, you know, even to sort of uh, encourage people to start an application. And what we came up with is this framework that we're tentatively calling social ad sequencing, for lack of a better term. Um, we should revise that at some point and come up with something a little a little quippier, but uh, uh, that'll have to do for now. And in a nutshell, this is a three-phased campaign. It's really 
you could argue it's really three campaigns. But what you do first is you go out with your initial social ad campaign with a video. So this video could be a program overview. It could be your university brand video. Ideally, it's something that's a little specific. So maybe if you're working um, within, you know, the school of business or, or a school of nursing, um, maybe you put together sort of a, a program specific video. Again, ideally, this is something that you already have, so you don't have to build something from scratch. This should be about 40 to 90 seconds. Um, and then you want to do some basic demographic and psychographic uh, targeting. Nothing nothing too crazy or nothing too fancy. So people you know that have an affinity for um, these professions, people that might be at your um, kind of target sort of like feeder high schools and or if you're a graduate school, uh, you know, your feeder undergraduate institutions. And then you want to launch this ad campaign to this audience. Again, basic demographics, a little bit of psychographics, nothing too fancy. Then about a week later, and this can range between five and eight days, what you want to do is you want to launch a second campaign. And this second campaign, what it's going to do is you're going to take everybody who watched 50% or more of the video in that first campaign, and you're gonna enroll them in this ad campaign, and now this ad campaign is gonna send them to some sort of like prospect inquiry generation oriented landing page. Again, so an ebook or your inquiry form or, or some way where it's really, really easy for a user to give information about themselves, right? Then what you're gonna do, another you know five to eight or so days later, is you're gonna take everybody who clicked on that uh, link, you know, they clicked on the ad, they visited the landing page, and people like those people, and you're going to enroll them in a final campaign. We call this, you know, campaign three, which is a lead ad campaign. Facebook lead ads perform very, very well. You're going to throw out a content offer or, again, a quick inquiry form on Facebook or Instagram, whatever the social platform might be, and you're going to launch that final campaign to that audience. So that was a lot, but what we're finding is that this approach that's relatively simple, right? Nothing too fancy, uh, but increasing sort of the role, your reliance on Facebook's algorithms, for instance, to do the targeting and do the audience selection for you is yielding a greater return on your social media advertising investment than if you're trying to do all of the profiling yourself. So essentially, we have now used this framework for uh, 10, I believe it's 10 now, different campaigns. And this result, as this this strategy, as opposed to sort of like um, the, the control strategy, has performed 10 times what uh, the control strategy has performed in each of these campaigns and then some. So if you're looking for sort of like a, a framework to re-invigorate you know, your social ad campaigns, this one's for you. So that was a lot, Mickey, but um, not sure if you have any thoughts or, or comments or suggestions or if you guys have uh, your clients that you're aware of have uh, tried anything like this and what sort of uh, you know results they may have seen. Yeah, I, so I like the um, layering together the three um, components or three campaigns to it. <clears throat> to me, it just it drives it's, it's alignment. Yeah, uh, and uh, I I spend a lot of time thinking and and trying to build alignment between efforts, whether that's different types of campaigns, whether that's um, talking points between what's being promoted in a campaign and what the admissions team is talking about when they're um, receiving forms and following up with students who've converted from that. Um, uh, I think all of that matters. <clears throat> and I think it all helps make that impact. You know, it's one thing we, you know, what the, in the marketing world, when they say, you know, someone needs to see your impression seven 
times or however many times yeah. it is in today's world before, you know, they've made that connection, you know, and I think, you know, there's a way um, that we have to build out, you know, how many times do they need to see this message versus the next message to combine the story together, you know, in today's world where you don't have a minute of their time in a, in a social context anymore, or advertising context, we've got a few seconds. And yeah. how do we begin to tell a story in a few seconds? You might repeat a message a bit, but then we need to build to that message a bit and then continue that message a bit so that I think we're providing a framework of a story. And that's how I like to kind of think about it. You know, I look at, and again, this is all to an extent personal bias. I look at how I act and respond. And, yeah. you know, if I'm scrolling through uh, some social site or, or I'll just say LinkedIn, for example, you know, and you see the ads kind of doing there and I look at, okay, I'm blocking this ad. Why am I blocking this ad? Um, you know, I came across it two weeks ago, a month ago. It's still the same stuff. I'm just tired of seeing it. It takes up a bunch of space and it's annoying to me. Mm. Um, you know, and it's because it's for a month. It's been in my timeline for a month. It keeps popping up. <laughs> I'm not acting on it. Yeah. It's not gotten my attention versus the ones that do get my attention, you know, and, and what I've found in, in that is, you know, the ones that got my attention are the ones that are rotating and changing. And it's not the exact same thing. It's not that they rotate and change every time, but you know, there was a sh one running for a little bit and then another one running for a little bit. Yeah. And if I go back a decade to when I was running uh, our ads when we were still using radio um, and, and be had begun using digital billboards, you know, we were rotating every two weeks, popping in and out different stories um, to connect people, to get them to engage. And it wasn't the static thing that was there forever. Uh, and, and to this day, when I'm working with clients, whether it's for whatever reason, they think radio is the thing for them, uh, or if it's some type of TV or other video-based campaign, it's like, okay, um, I know you're working on the budget for the new spend coming up. How much of that budget is going to the new content? Well, mm. we're just going to use the same content we had last year. Like, oh, oh, all right. So that content worked and got you some students. That content from those prospective students that it didn't get you um, or people out there that might fit the criteria but didn't respond or engage to it, why is it going to get them now? Yeah, yeah. It didn't get them then. What, you know, something has to have changed in their life to make it work. Good, and that can work. But maybe if we change the message, it'll connect with their life and also connect with people who already had it connected with their life and didn't resonate. Yeah. You know, how do we modify that? So I think that's that's an important piece of it. So anyway, um, I'll, I'll pause there. No, I that makes a ton of sense. And um, and I think what is to go back to what you were saying just a, a minute or so ago about sort of if you're not engaging with the content, right, like, and the brain is still targeting you, there are either two things kind of going on there. One is that the brain is just not sophisticated enough to realize that, hey, that, you know, the demographic, uh, the, the targeting selects that Mickey Baines falls into is is not working, right? Like, it, it's not converting him. Or two, what, uh, what, and what is, you know, in all likelihood, more likely is that they aren't actually, uh, as you're saying, sort of 
switching out that ad creative, that ad copy to solicit a different response. So what I like about this particular framework and this approach and how at least we've seen this begin to work is that you're taking the people that are actually interacting with your content, right? So they're clicking through to that landing page, they're you know watching the video, and you're enrolling them in a different ad campaign, right? You can still keep the other sort of just general awareness campaign kind of running, um, but as people then meet that criteria of, again, they're watching 50% or more of that video, they're then enrolled into a, a second campaign. So in a sense, in the same way that you would nurture people with like a communications flow who are, you know, clicking through and engaging with your with your emails, you're doing the same sort of thing. You don't, again, you don't know these people at this at this juncture, but you're doing that same sort of thing on social. So again, um, use this framework, guys. Test it out. Let us know how it works in your context. Um, again, we've seen this work really, really, really well, especially for schools with small budgets. Um, but you know, this is still new, so jury's still out on sort of how it will perform uh, over a longer period of time. Um, second thing I was thinking we could talk about, Mickey, is actually something we were talking about offline a little bit um, uh, just a just a few moments ago. And really, that's sort of like this uptick in, you know, requests and interests and sort of needs for conversational marketing, I'll just say tactics. So things like, you know, better ways to or easier ways to answer prospective students questions that don't require a ton of time from admissions counselors, um, being able to help basically put in front of and your admissions team, your enrollment management team, the most qualified prospective students at any given point in time. And really there are tools like chatbots and, and texting, um, you know, conversational marketing extends into any sort of messaging app as well. So Mickey, talk to us if, if you wouldn't mind just a little bit about some of your ideas on how schools can kind of increase um, uh, to use some sales jargon here, sort of like their speed to lead um, strategies to sort of um, respond to this, 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 I would even say this dire need to get people information very, very, very quickly. Sure, you know, and I think you're you're hitting on it a little bit there too. And and I can I can share with you what I'm starting to see some of the schools do. Uh, you know, we have clients who have pretty sophisticated phone systems now, um, and they have, or I've also seen schools who don't, who are now upgrading to allow their teams to install agents on their laptops. So when they're working from home, which a lot of people are, and may be, or at least become, you know, getting back to in the winter, if, if the pandemic persists and yeah. numbers continue to rise, you know, we, so we're seeing them install agents on their phone that allow them to receive uh, and, and make outgoing, uh, receive incoming and make outgoing phone calls uh, from there. So that allows some, so I think, some opportunity. And and I'll add to that and say not just pandemic-based because there's also times when um, around the holidays, we're in that season now, when we might have a need to connect with folks, but we may not be in the office. How can we do that? And this allows, I think, opportunity for that. And, you know, the other thing we were talking about with, with chat um, – you know, we were talking a little bit about the about the Google search, right? And yeah, and you call it was it uh, PAA? People also ask, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> that feature, and and we are starting to see Google kind of pop up when you type in that search, and um, and I'll let you uh, riff on that in just a moment. But you know, that same the context of what that is is realistically a version of of artificial intelligence, and I know we're afraid of it. Uh, or some people are afraid of it. And when I when we think artificial intelligence and we tie that to websites, sometimes we jump to that that thought of chat and yeah. and that can be really nervous for folks. 
Um, people want to talk to a human. Well, you're, you are absolutely correct. And most of the time they do want to talk to a human, but when they're just trying to find a simple uh, answer to a question, uh, providing an automated chat creates a new and engaging way to do it. Um, that if you do it right, uh, does build on your reputation with a prospective student. Yeah. Um, and so when we're doing that search and we can under, understand, you know, what are, what are the, you know, when we have skeleton crews in the holidays, when we don't have as many people on and people still may have questions, whether it's a current or prospective student, you know, if we can take, you know, the top 10% of phone calls, the most basic things that students ask, you know, what are those, what are those calls about and have that on a search? Because let's be real. Um, most of the time, for many institutions, and sometimes it might be different with special populations or say two-year institutions, maybe slightly different, but but in but in general, when someone's on the website and then they call you with a question they couldn't find the website, they did not do that because they really wanted to talk to someone. They did it because they couldn't find the information they really needed. It. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so providing that in a chat where I can go and type in a question and then it presents answers, um, that... Um, is a alleviating unnecessary calls potentially from your staff um, and b providing folks information they want when they want it rather than forcing them to take the extra step people when if if you're searching on a website and you can't find it and you have to make a phone call to get it you know you're already a little peeved when you're dialing the phone number yeah. so let's let's you know you don't want to have to have that type of conversation with your staff and start off on a negative foot like that so you know if we can provide that a it, it saves that phone call uh, for folks and it continues to engage. And if you have, you know, again, if you have tracking on the site, then you're also seeing what they're searching for. You might be able to even take that search question tied into a uh, contact person's record inside your CRM and then use that for other future campaigns. Um, whether that's an email campaign or texting campaign, phone call or social retargeting, right? Yeah, All yeah. of that can be used. Uh, so um, I think that's, you know, a real critical thing. And I think it's something that, that allows us to stay connected, engaged. Um, you know, when I, and I mean engaged, it's not, I'm doing a search. I'm having a, a chat with, with an actual bot, but that is a form of engagement now. So I think that's important. Yeah. A couple quick, uh, interesting stats to, um, that correlate really well with what you're, with what you're just, uh, saying there, Mickey. One is not very statistically sound because it's only, uh, three, three or, uh, institutions that we've tracked, um, this for, but the second is a little bit more statistically sound. So the first one though, is that 90%. So we've, um, uh, Enrollify's parent company has built out some uh, chatbots recently for schools that are just, you know, basic, uh, basic chatbots to do exactly what you're saying, Mickey, answer sort of like the top questions that prospects are, are asking. And one of the things that we found, again, with these three uh, organizations is that 90% of the queries and, you know, each, each um, chatbot has generated 150 or more queries um, that these were just launched about a couple weeks ago. So, um, but 90% of those queries across those three institutions um, are what we would just define as sort of like general admissions inquiries. So like they're asking for basic, they're asking basic questions like, hey, how much does this thing cost? Or, hey, you know, um, can I, is the program online if it's a graduate school, you know, hybrid or in person, right? So content that of course exists on your website, but again, users are just used to, today's, you know, perspective, students are just used to being able to like get what they want very, very quickly without needing to go and search for it on your site. So 
that's the stat that's um, not super statistically sound. The one that's a little bit more st statistically sound, which was done um, for, uh, uh, it was a study that uh, Funnelback and, and Stoner worked on together. And they surveyed, they or they were involved in sort of like this experiment with 75 different uh, institutions of all shapes and sizes. And one of the things that they found, they were looking at search and how prospective students uh, interacted with the search bar on college and university websites. And one of the things that they found is that 48% of students, of prospective students that were looking for a program assumed the school didn't have the program, didn't offer the program because they couldn't find it easily via search. So they'd go to that search bar, they'd search for you know program A, program B, program C, whatever it was, they couldn't find it quickly. So they just assumed that, oh, well, college doesn't, you know, college A does not offer this or university B doesn't offer that. Uh, when in fact those schools actually did offer those programs, right? So talk about like missed opportunities there. But what's interesting about that to me is that that just reinforces sort of this need for very, very easy, you know, frictionless experiences for people to find what they're looking for. And that's just been accelerated by the the world that we're all living through right now. So thought I'd throw that throw that in in as well. Um because so I have two I have two things about that. Yeah. Um uh the, the first, um, gosh, see, I'm already losing my train of thought because uh, they're two different thoughts. One to your two points. Um, one was on the search one was for on, the program. Yeah, one, the, fir the, first was the first one, one? The first one was on um, the 90% of queries, um, you know, requests with chatbots across, again, just three institutions were questions that we would categorize as sort of like general admissions information. Yep, yep. got it. So, um, and I'm going to ask you in a moment to remind me of the second one. I'm sure I'm, I'm bringing love it. Love it. It's early. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, when I back uh, in the day when I was still working in higher ed, uh, again, I was working with a non-traditional based undergraduate program. But we knew the top three questions almost of our, almost all of our prospective students had: How much is it going to cost me? How long is it going to take me? How convenient is this going to be for me? Hmm. And that really hasn't changed a heck of a lot. But um, but that was it. And so the cost, pretty easy. Um, here's here's the cost. Uh, we, here's what it's going to cost per course. We could talk a lot about convenience. The, the how long is it going to take me? We could talk in general how long it's going to take. But but that varied depending upon you know what institution you're transferring your credits from, or how many institutions. All these other factors went into it. I think what we found in looking at uh, at the time, and sometimes I still see this because it's still a question, and we have to figure out how to present that in a way that a begins to answer the question and doesn't leave it as the elephant in the room. Yeah, because that was really the conversation point. Hmm. That was what we determined. Like, like we wanted to find a way to have that conversation with someone about that particular topic because it is complex and we don't want them making assumptions. So we can provide some general. And then we found ways to say, you know, to find out specifically how many courses you need, click here, you know, yeah. and to have, you know, that we had to have that path. We created that path to get in there. And that's, I think an important piece of this because then you're kind of setting up when the conversation needs to occur. Not everybody's going to have it, but that is something everybody really wanted to know. Yeah. Um, and if we could provide some level brief amount of context uh, as to why I can't give you on a website for everybody on how many credits you need, you know, then we could help them understand why we need them to take that next step. Uh, and then that allows us to have a conversation. And then we could talk about cost and their other questions. Yeah. For clarifying purposes, but you know, how long is it going to take? Like that was a very specific thing that we needed to see. 
<laughs> so I think that was important. Uh, and so I think that's when you, when you start outlining that and you think about your chat um, and how you build that out, knowing when you want to have a conversation with someone or when it's important, what's that line in the sand, the, the line of demarcation. Yep. When you cross a point where you really do need to get them to a person, you, regardless of the question you're trying to answer for, you have to know when that is so you can start directing them there and, and plan that out when you're planning for a chat bot, right? Or, or any type of online type of information. You have yeah. to know what's that line of demarcation. I think that's an important piece. Um, two, we were talking about the programs. Yes. I think one of the reasons students are searching for programs and not finding them is because we have in higher ed this sophistication uh, and and glorious way we like to label our academic programs, right? Mm, um, mm. You know, people are searching for management, but we're business administration. You know, search <laughs> yes, terms don't yes. align. And so behind the scenes, we just have to be sure that we're just saying, hey, what are they searching for? And we're tying that so that they know that management is business administration. You know, one of the, the last institution when, when I was, where I was working, you know, we didn't have criminal justice. We had crime and justice. Hmm. And if you search for criminal justice, you might find, find a yeah. list of things, but it's going to be course descriptions, not out of a program. And if that doesn't pop up in the first two or three things, like, oh, well, maybe they don't have it. Um, and so I think that's important. Those little small nuances are important. You know, if I want to, if I want to study computers for my degree, do they, do we know it's information systems? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think that's just, just so important. Um and, and, and I've worked with schools who've been launching new programs. So, you know, one of the newer uh, programs uh, I've, I've seen emerge a little bit, health informatics. Yes, and yes. Tell me how many 16-year-olds and 15-year-olds have been dreaming about going to college for health informatics. <laughs> it's not one of the things. Yeah, um, yeah. And so how do you take what value that program provides and translate it in a way that connects with someone, A, so they can understand what it is, and B, it pops up when they're searching for something that maybe they look at. Uh, and how can you help teach them what it is so that they begin searching for it? Uh, you know, and I was working, as I was working with the, with the school, I was like, you know, realistically, if, you know, if we could turn back time, I would have rolled this out for some upperclassmen to transfer into or a graduate program, something um, – or, or, or something for non-traditional students who might already understand that world and be ready for it versus trying to now go out and teach uh, 15 and 16 and 17 years what it is so that I can enroll 20 of them uh, come fall. Yeah. Like that was, it was, that is a Herculean effort. And I think as we think about how we label the programs and what are the descriptions and understanding what people might be searching for, where we can kind of help them connect the dots, that's important. And I think a lot of schools miss out on that. Love it. Yep. Could not agree more. And there's there's so much gold there. Um, and sort of this idea of thinking about what, you, you know, prospective students are actually searching for, how they think about things, um, you know, the the words, the, the framing um, that they use when they're searching for a program that they're interested in is a, a perfect sort of segue into just this last sort of point um, slash, you know, idea that we've been that we've been experimenting with. So, some one of the biggest challenges for schools right now, as it pertains to SEO, is the content um, required to really, really win on custom search terms. So, meaning like there are obviously two sort of macro categories of like how Google looks at your page, right, and how they decide what content, what page is going to rank for what particular keyword or or search term. 
a lot of, you know, half of it is technical. So like, have you set up your, your website page appropriately so that it's easy for Google bots to understand sort of like the context and, and the site architecture, right. Of the page. That's things like meta descriptions and your, your links. So like, you know, how, how is your link structure actually organized, right? Are there nice topics? Do you have nice, you know, navs and sub navs? Do those sub navs and navs, you know, correlate to the page URL, et cetera. I won't bore you all with, with that. So there's a, there's a technical side of SEO. And then there's what we call sort of like a content side of SEO, which is that you just need lots of content. Like the more pay, the more content that you have right around that use a particular keyword or, or search term that is associated with your domain, the stronger the likelihood, the greater the likelihood that you'll be able to win slash secure a top spot when a user goes and types that query into Google. So most schools um, have decent, you know, technical SEO. Not all of them, though. Not all of them, though. You would be surprised at how how much of the time uh, website college and university websites are just like not well thought out from a technical SEO standpoint. But the biggest challenge for, uh, or the bigger challenge, I should say, for enrollment managers is just the time and energy it takes to craft new content around the terms that they want to win on. So, this is not meant to be like this is a hack, an SEO hack. Um, and like all hacks, right? They can work. They're not going to be. They're not going to solve all of your problems. But like we are seeing some cool uptick in results with schools that are implementing this relatively simple strategy. So what you do is you need to start with some sort of uh, keyword research tool. So you can use Google Keyword Planner. Google Keyword Planner is free um, if you have a Google Ads or a Google Analytics account, which uh, most of you, most of your schools probably do. Um, or if you wanna be a little bit more sophisticated, you can use something like an SEM Rush or a Moz SEO. Um, there are you know uh, several other uh, you know choices out there as well. But um, what we tell people to do is, hey, think about sort of what are the what are the specific terms that you would like to win on, right? Like what are what and you got to be specific here, right? Like uh, specific is the operative word. So you can't just say we I want to win on you know uh, undergraduate university or I want to win on business program, right? Like you got to get a little bit more creative and more specific. But what you can do is you can go into one of these tools and you can get a sense for how many people are searching in any given month for a particular term. So let's you know stick with uh, hybrid MBA programs, for instance. This is a highly competitive sort of like sought after word. If you Googled this, I'm sure you'd be hit with a bunch of ads from uh, from schools that are you know trying to capitalize on on search intent there. But what's interesting, you could you could plug that word into a Google Keyword Planner or an SEM Rush and understand how many people, right? How many people in any given month are actually searching for that term? Then what they do, what these tools have, they have something called like related searches or related terms. And you can click on that and see, oh wow, okay, hey, a thousand people are searching for hybrid MBA. Uh, programs uh, per per month, but and, and you know and that and that term is very competitive and it's going to be very hard for us to win on that. But two hundred people are searching for, um, you know, uh, rural hybrid MBA programs or um, you know, state uh, university state hybrid MBA programs or something like that. Right? Those were terrible examples, but something a little bit more specific. And then what they're doing is they're saying, okay, two hundred people um, in any given month are searching for this long what we call longer tail term. Um, and then, and this is where the hack comes in, right? If the if the 
the difficulty of winning on that term is relatively low. So anything below sort of like a 70, this will be very obvious if you're using any of these platforms. So, um, and call me if you have any questions about this, but if the keyword difficulty is relatively low, what you can do is you can then take that longer tail term and go ahead and splice that term into your existing content. So you go back to those program pages, you go back to any page, right, that says anything about your hybrid MBA program, and you take that longer tail keyword phrase, and you find strategic ways to splice that into the headers on that page, the body copy on that page, uh, and subsequent pages, even the even the URL. So and in like the meta description, depending on um, depending on what make what might make the most sense. So the schools that are doing this right now um, are finding on average 10 to 12 different pages where they can splice this new target term um, into, again, existing content. None of this requires the creation of brand new content, okay? This is all content that exists, but they're taking this target term and splicing it into these new pages, and they're seeing huge upticks in their organic results, okay? Now, again, these organic pa these pages from an organic uh, perspective, we're not ranking well to begin with. So, you know, we're talking about on average an uptick of one to 200 visits from organic search, but comparatively to where they were, that's huge. So if you're looking for a quick little SEO hack, um, that does have a real opportunity to help increase your rankings around you know, specific terms that you're interested in your, your content winning on, here's a way you can start. This isn't, again, this isn't the end all be all. It's not going to solve all your problems forever. Um, but this is a way to kind of like accelerate your results is by take finding terms that people are searching for that correlate, that resonate with your brand, that resonate with your, you know, that correlate to your offerings and strategically splicing these terms into your existing content. So that was a lot. Um, but that's my, uh, that's my final sort of idea and, and little hack for you all today. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what you think about that, Mickey. Uh, so, uh, well, you, you will know the back end complexity much, much better than I, um, however, you know, when we start talking about the, the social bits, um, well, first up for, let me back up. I think we've given some pretty good information. I think for for the day. Yeah. Um, and I know you were you were you talked several times about you. Know, I know you referenced hey, this particular thing won't solve everything, but it's a bit. You know, I, I just think it's important to remind everybody: we're not here to present to anyone the silver bullet. Yeah. Because it does not exist. Yeah. The way schools turn around pro, um, problems or grow beyond where they have been is by finding the right mix of all of these things that work for you and your strategy. Yep. If you are excellent at converting folks electronically, meaning without needing a phone call, then you can avoid the conversation where we're talking about potentially looking at having phone agents installed on laptops. Um, you know, if you are still heavily into fairs, even the virtual ones, and that generates 70% of your leads and you don't have to worry as much about digital, then, then all the digital stuff isn't as critical for you, at least right now. Sure. Right. So it's about finding the right mix. Second, in terms of the social piece of it, you know, what I'm starting to see, and again, this is not at all higher ed, but I think it's important because, you know, I'm always looking at what other industries and what I'm seeing elsewhere doing and, and how this kind of relates when you think about how we're targeting these specific audiences through social and, and starting to use some of your um, ideas here, Zach, and some of the strategies you and your colleagues are doing, you know, I think it's important, you know, I, 
I was just searching recently. Um, uh, my wife made a comment to me uh, that it seems like over the past year, I have collected a whole lot of t-shirts in my <laughs> wardrobe. And you know what? We've been in a pandemic. I'm wearing more t-shirts. There you uh, go. And I want, and I, and I found some really cool ones that I really like, and I found more and I want more of them. However, <laughs> uh, and, and her point was she hasn't accumulated as many t-shirts. So I thought, well, you know, maybe for a gift, cause it's holidays. Let me just see what life is good. Cause it's a brand we like. I like leather shirts and they have some cool stuff on it. I just did a little search and found a couple of shirts that I like for. I haven't ordered them yet, but within 24 hours when I'm online, I'm on a website that has ads on it. Um, I'm not seeing life is good advertisements. I'm seeing pictures of the t-shirts I looked at mm. in the advertisements. The life is good. T the exact t-shirt. That's what they're showing me. They're not saying, Hey, come look at life is good. They're saying, Hey, come look at this t-shirt that I've already looked at and, and put into a shopping cart, mind you, and didn't buy. Um, right. If we can do that, how do we correlate that to higher ed? Is we because it's that relevancy that we're talking about, yeah, and it's yeah. that level of detail. It's not saying, "Hey, this person searched for us and has been on our site or is in our prospect pool, so let's send them ads for us." You know, this is the person who's been on our scholarship page and is interested in our business program. So the ad is about awesome universities, business scholarships. Yep, yep. That's the relevancy. And we don't all have that know-how at every institution to do that right now. And some of you will be able to go do it. And some of you won't be ready to do that yet. But I think the key is saying, hey, that's where you need to be. Yeah, yeah. The goal for this conversation is say, hey, these are the ideas that I if I can't do them today, let's start putting the building blocks in place so I can do it next year. Because those are the things that will be converting more students yeah. And if you're not doing them, the longer you wait, the further behind you are. Yep. Uh, you know, and I talked to a school two weeks ago, uh, probably four or five years behind where they need to be to catch up with their competitors. They used to be at the top. Now they're way behind and they're four or five years behind the bottom end of the pool of the competitors. Yeah. There's a lot they need to be doing. Uh, and, you know, the key is hearing these things start putting the building blocks in place so you're not four or five years behind. I love That's that. It. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, if, if it brings anyone any sort of solace, I think what is just mind boggling to me is that the amount of budget that many institutions, I don't even care what size you are. Uh, most, most institutions, their marketing and recruitment budgets um, are significantly greater than like that of a startup, uh, you know, a, a true startup from like Silicon Valley or or any of these places. Meaning, the amount of money that they have to spend on marketing and communication promotions, right? The amount of money that they have to spend on social advertising and lead gen, right? If you aggregate all of that, like if you pull budgets together from different departments, right, and you look at that sum. That's a significant pool of money. Even even the, what people are spending in COVID, that is a significant pool of money. But right, what, what you're getting at, Mickey, which is so important, a lot of the time, folks don't know how to best effectively use those funds to get to that level of personalization, which by the way, is totally possible um, that you're describing, Mickey. And so my hope is that one of the things that will happen as a result of COVID is that there will be less silos and more uh, uh, more shared uh, resources between departments so that doing something like what you've just laid out for us is actually sort of the norm and not the exception. Um, and 
I get excited about that because there's a lot of money spent on trying to get prospective students to click to your website, to click to college and university websites. A lot of money, right? But that money is not, holistically speaking, is not well optimized for in order to be able to do the what what you've what you've outlined for us. But it can be. Um, so that's probably plenty for folks. Um, we, we went over, we went over a little bit over today and I, um, I apologize for that. That was, that was me, but hopefully this was, this was helpful and, and uh, inspiring and you can walk away with at least a, a couple of nuggets to again, think on, and then, you know, hopefully start to incorporate in some way, shape or form into, into your context. Any final, uh, words of wisdom for us, Mickey? No, I'm just listening as you were saying that last comment. Uh, I, I think we need to hit, well, I was going to say hit the road, but we, we don't hit the road for conferences anymore. But this, we, we should just do a whole episode at a, as a conference presentation. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should. Uh, let, let's, let's do that. And uh, a lot of folks kind of come in and have a live conversation with it. Um, I don't know. That's my thoughts. That's, that's where my mind just wandered right as you're, you're saying that. Last I love that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, any, if there are any volunteers, uh, yeah, let us know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. Thank you for your time as always. Yep. See you all next week. Mm-hmm.